I recognize my audience. Now, I recognize who, who, can sit, who, is a, who are the primary people in this service. So you've probably looked at the title of my sermon and said, I think we can block this one out. I don't think this one has a, a lot to do with me. I think I'm okay. doesn't have anything to do with me. I think we're okay. Well, let me tell you something. It does concern us. It concerns every one of us. Reader's Digest did a poll, a survey several years ago, and it said that 50% of men have affairs, 35% of women have affairs. And guess what? Those statistics do not change in the church. It's relevant. Maybe it's not relevant for you personally, but maybe it's relevant for your children. Maybe it's relevant for your grandchildren. And we, as parents, are there to teach our children. It never says when that teaching stops. As a matter of fact, may I just submit to you, your teaching as a parent never stops until God closes that last door on your life. You're always going to be teaching your children something, either by your words, by your actions, by what you do, and by what you say. Today we are in part seven of our series on the Ten Commandments entitled Ten Values That Build Strong Lives. I told you at the very beginning of the series that every time God, uh, you know, God gives a negative, it's always for a positive reason. He doesn't give us these things to cause us pain. He gives us these rules, these commandments for our protection. They're not God's suggestions, they're God's commandments. Exodus chapter 20 verse 14 very simply says, you shall not commit adultery. You shall not commit adultery. Listen, nothing destroys a family faster than adultery. God said, I have put this here. It's my protection plan. This is protect the family. This is to protect your marriage. And I know for some of you, even the very mention of this word causes pain. Maybe it's affected your family some way. It's affected you personally, maybe your children, maybe your parents, maybe your grandparents, whatever. It has affected you, and I know that this the thought of it hurts. Maybe it's affected you personally. Listen, we're not here to bring up old wounds. We're not here to heap condemnation upon anyone. If you have confessed your sins before God, you are forgiven. What I want to give you is some tools to help you move forward in victory. I don't want you to be a victim to your past. I want you to be a victor in the future. So what I'm giving you today are, are some things that will, will help you. I want us to focus on the future. God says, I have given you a drive within you called sex. And when sex is properly used in the proper context, it's a blessing from God, and it's not a burden to anyone. He says, but when it's used outside of God's context of marriage, it, it hurts you emotionally, it hurts you physically, and it hurts you spiritually. So say God, God says, I've given you this. And so it, it's, it's not bad. You just need to use it the way I want you to use it. So today I want to talk to you or maybe to someone that you're going to pass on. So take the notes, moms, dads, take the notes, pass them on when you get a chance. Or better yet, send them to our website they can download the sermon, they can watch it online, or they can download it to a webcast. They can listen to it on their iPod, on their iPhone, in their car. Uh, they can do that. We're trying to get this message out to everyone as we try to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ. Today I want to tell you how to how to affair proof your marriage. God wants us to use sex as a tool for building marriage, not destroying marriage. This morning I want to give you six steps to affair proof your marriage. First, make a commitment 
to God's standards. Make a commitment to God's standards. Regardless of your past, regardless of your failures, you need to agree with God today that I am going to have sex only within the confines of matrimony. Psalm 119 verse 9 says this, How can a person keep his way pure? He says, by living according to your word. What we would like to say, how can a person keep his way pure? By living according to culture. No, it says by living according to your word. God says, if you want to be pure, then you live it according to my standards, according to my guidelines, according to my teachings. God's standards are very clear. Adultery is never an option. It's never accepted. Every time it's mentioned in the scripture, there's negative consequences. Always, every time. Take the story of Joseph in the Old Testament. Joseph's one of the heroes of the faith, one of the patriarchs. Joseph was seduced or, uh, by Potiphar's wife. Don't know her name, just Mrs. Potiphar. Joseph had every opportunity to have this fling with her. He's good looking. He's young. We get the impression he was a handsome young man. He was available. He was, his sex drive was there. She was willing. Nobody would ever find out. He was you know, mistreated by his, by his brothers. His dad favored him over all the other children. They kind of coddled to him a little bit. His mom died at an early age. It was right. It was acceptable in that culture to do that. But the Bible says whenever Mrs. Potiphar tried to seduce Joseph, that Joseph said, Joseph said, I will not sin against my God. And he ran and he fled from that situation. And, of course, we know what happened to him in that situation. Uh, we might say, but wait a minute, God. He did what you wanted him to do, and he still suffered the consequences. That's all right. He was right with God. May not have been right with man, but he was right with God in that situation. Listen, when God says you shall not commit adultery, it's not a suggestion. Hebrews 13 verse 4 says the marriage bed must be kept pure, for God would judge the adulterer and all the sexually immoral. Did you hear that? We're to keep that marriage bed pure. We're not supposed to be having sex outside the confines of marriage. If we do, God says he's going to judge us. He's going to judge the adulterer and all those who are sexually immoral. There's coming a day when God will judge us for our activities. What many of us need to do, do today is publicly affirm God's standard. That's the first step. That's the first step to a fair proofing your marriage. Second, magnify the consequences. Make those consequences bigger. Remind yourself all the time of the devastation and the destruction that adultery brings in to a relationship. Proverbs 6 verse 32 says, A man who commits adultery lacks judgment. Whoever does so destroys himself. He lacks judgment. He destroys himself. Nothing damages emotions like sexual sin. It leaves scars. It, has, it leaves pain. The shame always stays with you. That, that sense of loss, it always stays with you. As a pastor, I have counseled enough people in my life that have told me, I just wish I could go back. I wish I could go back and restore what I've broken. I wish I could go back and change the decisions that I made, the actions that I had. Listen, 
I know this is going to sound like a young pup. I've been married 34 years to my wife. And by the grace of God, I intend to be married to her to the rest of my life. Now, why is that? Well, first, because I'm scared of what would happen to me <laughs> if I did anything wrong. <laughs> no, no, that's not true. That's not true. Uh, here's my reason why. First is I love Jesus Christ. I owe him my life. I owe him everything. And Jesus said, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. He's my ticket to heaven. So I love Jesus Christ. Second, I love my wife and I love my children. And I cannot think of the damage that that would cause in their life because I love them too much to bring any harm or any danger into their life. Third, I fear the judgment of God. It's a healthy fear. But I fear that, that if I do that, I will experience the judgment of God. Listen, one day you will have to explain every action you ever did, every decision you ever made, every thought that you ever had. Say, don't play around with this. This is serious stuff. So, so, so you, you make a commitment to God's standards, and you magnify the consequences. Blow them up in your mind. Make them bigger than they might be. And it'll keep you from making the wrong decisions. Third, maintain your marriage. Work on your marriage. A growing relationship with your spouse will reduce the pull and attraction of adultery. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 3 says, The husband should fulfill his marital duty to his wife, and likewise the wife to her husband. What are those needs? What are those responsibilities that we ought to have? Dr. Willard Harley in his book, His Needs, Her Needs, talk about the top five needs of men and the top five needs of women. I'm going to give you the top five needs of men first, the most wanted needs of men. Let's put them on the screen. Here they are. Top needs of most men. Top five needs. One, sexual fulfillment. Duh. Two, recreational companionship. Three, an attractive spouse. Four, domestic support. Five, admiration. Y'all see those five? All right, let's put the women up. Top five needs of most women. Number one, affection. Number two, conversation. Number three, honesty and openness. Number four, financial support. Number five, family commitment. Go back to them. Can you go back? Men, sexual fulfillment, recreational companionship, an attractive spouse, domestic support, admiration. Women. Affection, conversation, honesty, and openness, financial support, family commitment. You see any similarities? What on one? There's nothing similar about any one of those. And so we enter in these marriages, and we sit there, and we wonder why we're not getting along with our wife. We're wondering why she doesn't like the things that I like, or why he doesn't like the things that I like. It's because you don't like the same things. You don't need the same things. You don't have the same needs. So what is the solution? The solution is get serious at learning what your spouse needs and determine that you are going to meet those needs to the very best of your ability. The very best. Whatever those needs are of your spouse, say, I'm going to meet those needs. And one of the biggest problems in that is the, is the physical relationship between a man and a woman. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 5 basically says, that we should not deprive one another of sexual relations. For if we do, we will open the door for Satan to tempt us. Listen, 
And I know this, this, this is a difficult concept to grasp, but sex is a spiritual responsibility, and to deny or restrict each other is to ask for trouble. That's what happens. I know it's easy. If you, I'm a guy. Yeah, we know what you're talking about. Yeah. No, this is biblical. That's what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Don't deny one another because when you do, you're opening the door for temptation. You're opening the door for other things. A scientific survey was conducted. You ladies are going to find this uh, really beneficial, so listen to me, all right? A scientific survey was conducted about what days men like to have sexual intimacy. They discovered they liked it in days that begin with a T. Okay, Tuesday, Thursday, today, tomorrow, Tattersday, Tunday. Now we laugh, we laugh at that, but you ladies, you know it's true. Me and you know it's true. That's the way it is. When you, when you have committed yourself to your spouse, when you've committed yourself to one another, you do what you have to do. You do what you're supposed to do. What you need to be saying is for most of the needs I have in life, especially these top five, I'm looking to you as the one to meet those needs. You're not looking for anyone else. You're looking for your spouse to meet those needs. Ultimately, many people enter into marriage, they feel like they've got the raw deal. So I didn't sign up for this. Why? Because their needs are, are, are so different. I've made a commitment in my life that I'm going to be the best lover to my wife that she'll ever have. The best. If she needs a lover, I'm going to be that person. That's the commitment that we make to one another. So you make a commitment to God's standards. Magnify the consequences. Maintain your marriage. Fourth, manage your mind. <clears throat> People don't just fall into immorality. They don't just wake up one day and say, hey, I think I'll be immoral today. I think I'll have an affair today. They don't do that. It, it's a process. There's a whole series of events that come into play. James chapter 1, verse 14 and 15 says, Each one is tempted when by his own evil desire he is dragged away and enticed. Then, after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. Basically, it's a thoughts, it's feelings, it's actions, it's adultery. Thoughts, feelings, actions, adultery. That's how it works. I'm not going to dig into each one of these, but let me just walk you through step by step. Step one, we accept simple thoughts into our minds. We accept simple thoughts into our minds. Step two, we become emotionally involved with the other individual. Uh, we get this attachment for that person that we're not getting from our spouse. Three, we engage in physical contact. Let me tell you something, ladies and gentlemen, my friends. Once you cross the bridge and you get into sexual contact, it is very hard to break the tie. It is very hard to break it. That's why James talks about that passage, that lure. He talks about that evil desire. He is dragged away and enticed. That word enticed, he's lured like a fish who sees that sparkling lure, and he grabs it. And what happens when he grabs it? He no longer has the lure. The lure has him. It's the same way. Once you cross the bridge and you make physical contact, it is very hard to come back from. Very hard. Number four, we irrationalize the affair. Oh, oh I just can't believe 
That's something that's good. It's been kept from me so long. This is beautiful. I can't believe it. That's what we do. Listen, we are experts at pulling the wool over our eyes. Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 9 says, The heart is deceitful and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Did you hear that? The heart is deceitful and desperately wicked. Who can know your heart? I'll tell you who can, God. He knows your heart. That's why he gives us these commands. Because he knows what we're capable of doing. I think I've told this story before, but let me tell it again because it's, it's so prevalent what it is. I had, when I was in seminary, I was pastoring a church, and my, my best friend uh, took a church in New Mexico. Uh, we stayed in touch via phone call. We'd call each other once a week, every two weeks, just to see how we were doing. And we were kind of accountability partners or, you know, uh, spiritual partners, whatever you want to call it. Uh, and one day he called me and, and said that he has been counseling a woman in his office. I immediately had a red flag go off in my head. And he said that eventually, he, he was telling me, he said he became attached to her. She would come in bearing her problems from her marriage, and, and he would say, well, I would never treat you like that if my, you were my wife. I mean, you're so beautiful and so kind. Why would he do that? And before long, they began finding that they had an attachment toward one another and began looking for emotional connection. Nothing physical, but an emotional connection. Eventually, he called me another time, and they had crossed the line from an emotional connection to a physical affection. And then he told me the L word. He goes, I love her. I love her. Of course, I told him what he needed to do. He didn't listen to my advice. Most people don't, but that's, it doesn't matter. I still gave the advice. This man eventually left his wife, left the ministry for this woman. It cost him dearly. It cost him dearly. That's what it does. Don't ever think you're immune. Don't ever think that that, that could never happen to you. It can happen to any one of us. You see, we can convince ourselves that anything is okay given the circumstances. That's the way the mind works. That's the way Satan wants us to be. Fifth, maintain proper relationships. Statistics reveal that most affairs occur between close friends, co-workers, or family members. Those people that you're closest to. Since we obviously have to deal with people every day, how do we avoid the contact? How do we, we avoid, how do we maintain proper relationships? One, don't listen to a member of the opposite sex tell you their problems. Staff members, guys, girls, you hear me on this. Deacons, hear me on this. Don't listen to a person of the opposite sex tell you their problems. Send them to another, to a same-sex counselor. Send them to a same-sex same individual. Don't sit there and start listening to them. Uh, that's commandment number one for our staff. Number two, women, do not go fishing for compliments from someone else. Your husband may not notice your green hair. But don't go at looking for another man to give you a compliment about your green hair. Guys, don't just give a compliment thinking that it's needed. Don't do it. You know, just stay away from that. It'd be better for you just not to say anything than to say something that might lead to an attraction. You don't know what that person's going through at home. So don't give them, don't give Satan a foothold into that. Third, avoid a prolonged stare. There's an unwritten rule in America that you only look at a person for so long. You only make eye contact for so long. Now, if you're single, uh, it's okay. 
You can look at a person. You can even wink a little bit. That's called flirting. But listen, guys, gals, when you're married, there is no such thing as flirting. You don't do it. You don't make inappropriate eye contact. You don't flirt. That ended. You want to flirt? Go flirt with your spouse. Don't do it. You cannot do it. There, there are socially accepted limits that you can do. Fourth, avoid the lingering touch. I'm not saying you can't hug a person, you can't you know, shake their hand, pat them on the back, but avoid that touch where you linger a little longer than you should. You stroke their hand a little longer than you should. You embrace a little longer than you should. Avoid that at all risk. And avoid that individual that does that. Because that individual that hangs on you a little bit longer than they should, it's an opening for something else. So avoid that. Again, there are limits. There are socially acceptable limits that we have to maintain. Watch out for these behaviors in your life. God says, this is my protection for you. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 3. But among you, there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality. Not even be a hint of sexual immorality. It takes more than good intentions to, to avoid this. It takes a plan that you can stick to. Sixth, minimize the opportunity. If you don't want to get stung by bees, what do you do? You avoid bees. That's the way you do it. First, don't place yourself in situations where you know you will be tempted. That, that, that's so standard. If you know, if you go to that place, you're going to be tempted. Guess what God says? Don't go to that place. You know, it's kind of like the old guy said, Doctor, doctor, it hurts when I raise my arm. Well, don't raise your arm. If you know you're going to go to that place and be tempted, God says, just don't go. Don't say, oh, I think I'm strong enough. I can do it. No, you're not. The Bible says there's not a temptation that comes your way that God doesn't give you an out. He always gives you an opportunity to avoid that. So, don't place yourself in a situation where you know we'd be tempted. Second, choose your friends carefully. The Bible says bad company corrupts good character. Choose your friends carefully. Listen, if your best friends, a husband and wife, and they're not committed to their marriage like you're committed to yours, guess what? They don't need to be your best friends. You don't need to be hanging around them. They will drag you down rather than you dragging them up. It'll happen. So, so you got to be, I'm not saying you can't be friends with them. I'm saying you've got to avoid certain situations. You've got to avoid certain people because they will influence you more than you will influence them. Third, establish guidelines. Decide in advance what you will do and what you will not do. Decide what you will watch and what you will read. Decide what you will not watch. Decide what you will not read. What I'm trying to tell you is minimize the opportunity for Satan to find an opening in your life. Because God says, you shall not commit adultery. So what do you do if you find yourself going down that road? Let me tell you the pathway back to purity real quick, and then we'll close. If you have been unfaithful, there's still hope. If you went down that avenue, there's still hope. Listen, don't think it can't happen. When I was living in Illinois, I buried a man. Came to our Wednesday night Bible study, our men's Bible study, our Sunday night Bible study. Good man, good man. I buried him and passed away. After it was over, his wife kept calling me. She was an older woman. She kept calling me for counsel. Uh, so I talked to her a little bit on the phone. I talked to her house uh, and... 
she basically told me that even though she would, they've been married 50-something years, she'd been having an affair for a long time. Now, there's reasons that she was doing it. None of them justified. But she felt guilty. She said, I feel so guilty because I love my husband. He was a great man. I loved him. She goes, do you think God's going to condemn me for this? You want to talk about having to pull out some counseling books that I didn't know anything about. Yeah, I did. I pulled them out. The thing is, if a person's been unfaithful, there's still hope. These people have been married over 50 years. What do you do? First, you come to Jesus Christ for cleansing. You come to Jesus. Adultery does not have to kill a marriage. There is a way back. There are steps you can take. The first thing you do, ladies, the first thing you do, men, acknowledge the sin. Psalm 51 is David's, David's acknowledgement of his sin after he had the affair with Bathsheba, after he committed adultery with Bathsheba. What you have to do, call it what it is. It's a sin. It's not an affair. An, an affair. It's adultery. Call it what it is. God's standard has never changed. Hear me on that. Premarital sex is wrong is and will always be wrong in God's eyes. Living together outside of matrimony was always wrong in God's book, and guess what? It is still wrong by God. And an affair outside of marriage, you know, outside of marriage, it was wrong in the biblical times, and it is still wrong today. God's standard does not change. Adultery is wrong in the biblical days. It's wrong in the 21st century. It does not change. I don't care what culture says. It does not change. Truth is truth, regardless of what we think. One day, you will stand before God and give your puny excuse why you did what God told you not to do. But listen, here's the good news. Here at Western Heights Baptist Church, we're here to help. There's not a perfect person in this room. We are people that are flawed, and we, we, have, we have committed failures. And guess what? We will probably be flawed and commit failures tomorrow. But we are in this thing together. We do life together. We do this thing we call Christianity together. And we are here to love you. We are here to care for you. We are here to help you be all that you can be in Jesus Christ. There are no perfect people here. But there is a perfect God. So acknowledge the sin. Second, end the relationship immediately. Hebrews chapter 3 verse 15 says, Today, if you hear God's voice, don't harden your heart. Today. Don't put aside and do it tomorrow. Do it today. There's a story in the Old Testament. <coughs> During the time of the plagues, the Egyptians are bombarded with frogs. Frogs everywhere! There's frogs everywhere! I don't know about you, I'm not really a big fan of frogs. Uh, you know, I, I can handle one or two. And, you know, I, I can do that. But I don't like to see just millions of frogs everywhere. Uh, do anybody else like to see that? Yeah, you know about and, and so, uh, no, he, so Pharaoh calls Moses. And he says, hey, Moses, what do you got to do to get rid of these frogs? And he says, well, you do this, this, or this, and, and the frogs will be gone. When do you want to do it? And, and Pharaoh says, tomorrow. Tomorrow. One more night with the frogs. Moses could have got rid of the frogs that day. 
But what did Pharaoh say? Give me one more night with frogs. Isn't that the way of our sin? God says, I want to forgive you today. I want to forgive you now. I want you to put this behind you now. I said, well, I think I'll do it tomorrow. I think I'll do it tomorrow. Listen, don't spend one more night with the frogs. Don't spend one more night in the sin when God can forgive you today. Don't do it. Third, avoid all contact with that person from now on. You can't be friends after you've been lovers. I think it's a country western song after that. You can't be friends after you've had an intimate relationship. You can't do it. You know, it, it, so break off that relationship. No more cards, no more letters, no more uh, Facebook messages. I don't think I have to worry about tweets in here. No more tweets, no more Instagrams, no more Snapchats, uh, no more whatever it might be. Don't do it. Cut off all contact. If they keep following, calling you, hang up the phone. If they keep calling you, change your number. If they're at work where you work, guess what? Quit your job. I'd rather you be obedient to God than fall down the path of transgression. Do whatever it takes to avoid contact with that person. Listen, God thought up sex. I'm not ashamed to talk about it in the church because God talks about it in the Bible. God created sex. In marriage, sex is beautiful, it's perfect in every way. But God says, I've established some rules. I've established some guidelines for sexual contact. If you don't play by the rules, you are going to get hurt. You could say that God's Ten Commandments are kind of like the referee. He's refereeing life. Oh, can't do that, can't do that, can't do that. But instead of getting a five, 15-yard penalty, you're affecting your life. Listen, what do you do? Open your life up to Jesus Christ and ask Jesus to forgive you of your sins. Ask Him to forgive you of your past, all the mistakes you made. We all make mistakes. We all commit sins. Ask Jesus Christ to forgive you. Say, Lord Jesus, I ask you to forgive me of my sins, my past my present, and my future sins. God, forgive me of my sins. Make me whole. Cleanse me. Wash me. Purify me. And make me a clean vessel once again so that I can live in your kingdom. Some of you need to do that this morning. Others of you, God's task to use is pass this on to someone else. It may not affect you, but I'll guarantee you, if this task to write, 50% of people, men are having adultery, committing adultery, and 35% of women, guess what? It's going to affect somebody. Get the word out to them. Give it to them. It's not your job to change their life. It's your job to communicate the truth. Only you can do that. In a moment, we're going to have a time of invitation, a time for you to respond. I, I don't know, you know how, how you're going to respond personally. Maybe just to say, you know, God, thank you for the marriage that I have. That's a great response. God, thank you that we've been faithful for 65 years. Thank you that we've been faithful for one year, whatever. God, thank God for that. That's a blessing from God. That's a blessing from God. Maybe for others to say, you know, we strayed in the past, but God, you brought us back. We thank you for the restoration you've given to our life. For others of you going through some difficulties, uh, you're going through some times in your life and you see some struggles in your marriage. It may not be sexual, but there might be this, this attraction you have for someone else. Jesus talks about that. He says, look, if you even look at a person with lust in your eyes, you've already committed adultery. 
But it may not be you're looking for that person to meet your sexual needs, but you're meeting that person to meet your emotional needs, your spiritual needs. Guess what? That's adultery just as well because you're not counting on your spouse to meet those needs. So what's God's telling you to do this morning? Won't you stand with me as Kip comes to lead us?